thank you so much for joining us this Easter morning. He is risen. Right? Like, this is a proclamation of, of such joy, such celebration, one that has been spoken and responded to for over 2,000 years. Peoples from languages and cultures have cried this out back to one another, celebrating our risen Savior. It's a day of, of joy. It's a day of, of celebration. Right? But, but there's also this reality that this has not been my week. Okay, so like in all honesty, this has been a difficult week for me this week. There has been the reality of brokenness in me and in others, of walking with families through difficulties, reading the the news of another mass shooting, and I sit at my desk and I think about what today's meant to be, right? This day of celebration, and yet I'm sitting there and I'm like, but that's not where my heart is right now. So what's needed in that moment? Because I believe that there's this temptation to just bury it. Bury it for a day. Celebrate in the moment. Right? Pretend like everything's okay. And, and that's the danger of today. You can say, yes, I know that the dysfunction in my family. I know the brokenness. I know the pain. But let's just put on the Easter smile. Wear the Easter dress. Wear your pastel colors. Smile for the camera. Hide everything that's going on inside. And then move on. That's the danger. And, and the reality is it's possible to come here and go through the motions of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ without ever experiencing the joy of why we're celebrating. And so my prayer this morning is that we can get beneath, go to the heart of where we're at this morning to experience the reality of the joy that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the weight of glory contained in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to shatter the shackles of doubt and brokenness that bind us. It has the weight of glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ, has the ability to crash through the the external projections we make of ourselves, right? What we project for others to see, how we want them to perceive us. It has the ability to break through that, to pierce to our heart. But the amazing thing with the gospel is that as it pierces through all that and as it reaches our heart, it doesn't crush us. It doesn't condemn us. It doesn't just kill us right on the spot. But instead, the merciful hand of God brings healing. It draws that broken heart to himself. That's the invitation this morning. This is our heart. And, and really, if I had, if I knew that tomorrow I was going to die, Like, this is it. This is my last message. This is my last sermon. Never again would I have the opportunity to preach. Today's message is the words I would want on my lips. These are the words that I pray echo from generation to generation long after I'm gone. That that the Apostle Paul, we're going to even hear him say that these are the words of first importance. Beyond anything else, these are the words I want you to hear. And so if you will, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you turn there, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this time that we have together to, to celebrate, 
Lord, but to also be real in the moment of our brokenness, the condition of our hearts this morning that may be hidden behind pretty clothes and a smiling face. Lord, we desperately need you this morning. Would you shine the light of the gospel through these images that we seek to project about ourselves? And Lord, would you bring comfort to the brokenness within us? And in Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to see and to hear Paul's words, that if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, to just hear how he begins, and and I pray that in this, it's also my heart for us this morning. Look at what it says in verse 1, like, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I've preached to you, which you've received, and and, in which you now stand. Like, he's saying, this is what I long for us this morning. You've heard me preach the gospel this morning. This isn't something new. For many of you, if not most of you, this is something that you have welcomed. This is something that you are standing in. This is something that you are walking in. This is the same case for the Apostle Paul. But he's like, let let me remind us once again of this beautiful truth. This faith into which you now stand. This good news that saves you so that you would continue to walk in it. That you would continue to stand in it. That we wouldn't just take it for granted. That we wouldn't assume what it means. And he goes on to say that this is news that I'm not the author of. It's not like I've just written this fairy tale story so that in the brokenness of your life, you can say, well, isn't that a nice story? Let me just get a little bit of comfort from that. No, this isn't a story I've written. This isn't a story that the Apostle Paul was written. This is a story that God has written throughout creation as creation rebelled against him. This is the redemption of God's story to us. It is a message that I have received, that then is being passed on this morning. And look at what it says in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is it. Like if there's nothing else, if there's one thing that I could say to you, this is it. If there's one final message, this is it. This is what is absolutely most important above and beyond anything else that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Like, let that just sink in that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So, before we celebrate the resurrection, let us rewind to Friday morning, 9 a.m as the Roman soldiers took the nails and pierced Jesus' hands and feet, nailing him to the cross, lifting his body up for all to see. Crowds watched. Religious leaders mocked him, scoffed and scorned him as he hung there, shamefully exposed as soldiers gambled for his clothing. At noon, three hours later, darkness descended. It descended on the top of the hill of Golgotha. It descended on the city of Jerusalem that lay in the distance. For three hours, slowly consuming the scene, a darkness of despair that would be saturated into their very spirit. 
What's happening? Why? How? Is this for real? Is this really happening? What was victory for the religious leaders to finally condemn and crush him was an agony of defeat for those who had followed him and trusted in him. And for three hours, the darkness lingered, the despair and the reality of the defeat sinking deeper and deeper into their bones until Jesus, with his final breath, would cry out, My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? And then he would cry out, It is finished. It's done. And he breathed his last and gave up his spirit to God. And all of this was according to the scripture. See, Isaiah 53 written 700 years before Christ ever walked the earth. Documents that we now have in hand that predate Christ, his life on earth, says this, that Jesus would carry our weaknesses, the weaknesses that weigh us down, the weaknesses that you carry. Christ hung on the cross, and he says, it is finished. He has carried those weaknesses. He was pierced and punished because we rebelled against God. And he says, it's finished. I've carried your rebellion. I've paid its penalty in full. It's done. It's finished. He was beaten, ridiculed, mocked so that you would be made whole. That brokenness, those doubts, that shame that still lingers, that condemnation was placed on Christ and he cried out, it's done. It's finished. I've paid the penalty for our sin. By his wounds, we are healed. His death was the payment for our sins. Romans 6.23, the wages, the cost of sin, your sin, Demanded death before holy God. And Jesus, being perfect, hung on the cross and says, it's finished. The payment for your sins has been paid in the broken body of Jesus Christ. It's done. In Christ alone, who took on flesh. Fullness of God and helpless babe. This, this gift of love in righteousness was scorned by the very ones he came to save till on the cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live this is the gospel of Jesus Christ as of first importance that the Apostle Paul delivered, that I communicate that Christ died for our sins <clears throat> in accordance with the Scriptures and that He was buried. See, at three in the afternoon on Friday, the day ended around 6 p.m. In, in the culture. So this is day one. That Jesus breathed His his last, the death machine of the Roman military confirmed that Jesus was dead. (coughs) 
and they took down his lifeless body. They wrapped it in one long linen piece of cloth, and they lay it in a tomb. Day one. Saturday was upon them. This would have been their holy day of Sabbath. The religious leaders are getting nervous. Scripture tells us that they go to the Roman authorities and they're like, you know, this guy, he said he was going to rise again on the third day and we don't want somebody coming in and stealing the body and then saying, oh, Jesus is alive, when really they just moved his body. So they said, seal the tomb and put Roman soldiers in front of it. And, and that's what they did. Death was to remain in its intended grave. In Christ alone. There in the ground his body lay. Light of the world. By darkness slain. But here's the thing. So we could move on from this real quick. Uncomfortable feelings on an Easter morning. But I don't feel that we get the true sense of joy unless we linger for a moment in the despair of this moment. The grave is where we bury our dead. It's where hope goes to die. It's where we hide our shame, our secrets, that death is the ultimate end. No more tries, no more do-overs, no more mulligans, no more maybes, no more tomorrows. No more possibilities. It's done. It's final. The condemnation, the shame is there. Resting as your identity on the tombstone forever. There's a finality of death. Loved ones who pass away. The sound of their voice, their scent. Nothing more than a memory unspoken forgiveness that can never be said, can never be heard, can never be received. The what ifs, the maybes, that can never be taken back. It's over. See, for three and a half years, three and a half years, the disciples, they walked with Jesus. They heard him. They thought he was the Messiah. To them, this meant that he was the everlasting king from the line of King David. He was going to sit on the throne. He was going to be the, the king. He was going to expel the, the Roman leaders. They saw him do miraculous works. This was him. They knew it. Three and a half years. And now he's in the grave. Were we wrong? I think of Peter, right, who denied Jesus, who said, I'll never deny you, Jesus, now sits alone in a corner, defined by his failure. What does he do? He, he said he would never deny Christ, and yet what did he do? He denied him three times. What is he to do with that guilt? What is he to do with that shame? Where does he take it? It defines him. It's who he is. It's how he'll be remembered. And you can imagine, where does all that despair and shame go, but deeper and deeper into how he sees himself, how he thinks he's perceived. This is who he is now. Without hope. Saturday's sorrows precede Sunday's joy. Like if you feel that reality, like if you were left in all your mistakes... All your failures, 
all your wrongs, intended, unintended, desires, failures, if you had to bear all of that, this would be the reality if Christ was still in the grave. But that is not our reality. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture says that he would. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. This is the truth. He is risen. He is risen indeed in Christ alone. There in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth into glorious day. Up from the grave he arose. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. This is the gospel that we hold to and we claim. And even Paul is going to say, if this isn't true, if Jesus is still on the grave, then what I'm doing here in preaching, futile, worthless, vanity, in my time, your faith, The same. Completely worthless. If Christ is still in the grave, all of this is meaningless. But if it's true, as Scripture and history proclaim that Christ is risen, it changes everything. See, on Sunday morning, as the sun was just rising, it says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, were were making their way to the tomb. And they had bought spices for the burial spices for Jesus. And they're asking one another, like, how are we going to move the stone? Like, it's been sealed. How are we going to do this? And I imagine them looking down as their feet shuffle through the cool, dusty morning path. Questions and despair lingering in their hearts until they feel the vibration under their feet. The earth begins to shake and they lift their eyes and an angel of the Lord is moving the stone. The battle-hardened Roman soldiers see this and they faint in fear. And the women continue to approach. The angel, it says his face is like lightning, his, his clothing white as freshly fallen snow. Says, don't be afraid. I know why you're here. You're here for Jesus, but he's risen. He's risen. He said he would, and he has. Come, see for yourself. And they look, and they see it is true. He has risen. And the message continues to spread. From person to person, seeing for themselves, he's risen. He's risen indeed. It's true. And all of this is in accordance with Scripture. Why is the resurrection so central? The Apostle Paul goes on to say why this is. That because Christ has risen from the dead. What, like, Think about this for a moment. What is true because what we proclaim and what is true that Jesus has risen from the dead, then faith truly leads to salvation. That because Jesus rose from the dead, you are declared perfect and innocent before a holy God when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is what's true. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you are free. Your freedom has been purchased because Christ has risen from the dead. You can risk your life 
to serve and to proclaim the gospel among all peoples because Christ has risen from the dead. Because what can people take from you? What despair is there? What hopelessness? What, they're going to take your life? Then I stand before God for all eternity, alive in his presence. What can man take from me? Nothing. Do you see the victory that we have in Christ? The resounding hope that there is nothing that they can take. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? It is rendered toothless. It is rendered ineffective. There is victory over the final enemy of the grave. Death is defeated. Sin is defeated. Shame is defeated. Brokenness is defeated. Pretending and performing and playing religious games is defeated. Weakness, fear, defeated. Brokenness, defeated. Sorrows, defeated. Because Christ is risen. This is the hope that we have that I pray we feel this morning. The joy of this moment. But here's the thing. Here's what surprises me about 1 Corinthians 15. So we can say, okay, this is the good news as a first importance, that Christ was crucified for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. But there's one more part that the Apostle Paul mentions here. And it says, he was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. See, now Jesus says, not only did Christ rise from the dead and just kind of disappear, believe it, Jesus rose, but he authenticated his resurrection in his appearances changed the very people who cowered in fear following the crucifixion would now stand in courage and change history as we know it because transformed by the reality that Christ is truly risen they would be forever changed this for me was such a, a mark of testimony that Christ truly rose from the dead I grew up in a Christian home I heard all the Jesus stuff in Sunday school growing up, but when I got close to college, I remember asking myself, do I believe this because I just grew up in a Christian home, or do I believe this because it's historically and actually true? Is this true? Can it be proven? Can we talk about this? And one of the, the marks that God used in my life was the changed lives of the disciples, who at one point ran in fear, but in seeing the risen Christ were completely transformed. Think in order of how the disciples gave their life when it says that Jesus appeared to them. The risen Christ, they see Christ risen from the dead. And think of how they spend the rest of their lives. James, son of Zebedee, was put to death with a sword. Philip took the gospel to Turkey where he was crucified. Matthew, the tax collector, took the gospel to Iran in Ethiopia where he was killed with a, a halberd, which is a combination of a spear and a battle axe together is how he was killed. James, the brother of Jesus, had his brains dashed out with a fuller's club. Matthias was beheaded. Andrew took the news of the resurrection to Turkey where he was crucified. Mark took the news of the resurrection to Egypt where he was dragged to pieces before the Egyptian idol. 
Peter took the gospel to Rome where he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. Paul, who once persecuted the church but then became a proclaimer of the gospel, was beheaded by sword. Jude was killed with an axe while preaching in Syria. Bartholomew preached in several countries, translating the gospel of Matthew into the language of India, where some say he was skinned alive and then beheaded. Doubting Thomas preached the gospel in Iran, in India, before he was thrust with spears. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Simon the Zealot preached in Iberia, where he was sawed in half. John was imprisoned in Rome, put into a cauldron of burning oil, lifted out unscathed, miraculously, and they were so afraid they sent and put him in exile on the island of Patmos. These are the disciples. Now tell me, What change happened in these men except that the risen Christ appeared before them? This isn't something we just go through the motions and celebrate once a day each year. This is something that is true, that has transformed lives across cultures, across people groups for the past 2,000 years and continues to transform people's lives this morning. And despite the continual persecution, despite all the horrendous ways that people were killed for following Christ, the church continued to grow. Think about this for a moment. If this was the cost today, the reality is, and what history proves, the church would continue to grow. God is continuing to draw people to himself. This is what the resurrection does in the body of Christ. This is why Paul then calls us in response to how then do we respond to this. Paul tells us exactly how to respond to the resurrection. What should be our response to this message as of first importance? If you look at the final verse in verse 58, it says, Therefore, beloved brothers, be strong, immovable, Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. See, because Jesus rose from the dead, we are called then to be strong. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus bore our weaknesses. This isn't be strong in your own strength because you're so strong. No, It's saying, Jesus, bore your weaknesses. He has given you his strength. Now stand in his strength. Be strong in his strength. Be strong in the courage of the gospel because that's the foundation beneath our feet. That's why we don't need to pretend. That's why we don't need to perform because he's done it all. Because he said it is finished. There is an unbelievable strength that comes from humility that does not try to project to others this religious picture of ourselves, but says, I am broken before a holy God, and he is good, and I stand. I stand in his death when he says it is finished. I stand in the burial that my weaknesses, my shame, my guilt 
was crucified with Christ on the cross, and now I stand in victory that was not purchased on my own, but it was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. This is where I'm going to stand. This is our strength. Death is no more. Sin is no more. Shame is no more. Hope is eternal. Freedom is eternal. Forgiveness is eternal because Christ's strength is at work in us. And I see this as a victory lap. It's like the race has been won. The marathon has been won by Christ when he says it is finished. The the race car, right? After you've crossed the finish line, you see the checkered flag, the, the victory lap. Christ has won the race. He has won our victory. And now the life we live is in the victory that he has purchased, that he has finished. And so we can be strong in his strength, not in our own. We can be immovable as temptations come, as persecutions come, as challenges come. He's like, stand in my victory, not on on your own. When you feel weak, where do you take that? When the condemnation and doubts begin to rise, where do you take that? Do you take it to the cross of Jesus Christ or do you try to carry it yourself? He was crucified to bear the weight of our sorrows, of our brokenness, so that now we can stand in his strength, that we can be unmoved when the condemnation comes because Christ has been victorious and we can work enthusiastically because Christ said it is finished. Like, do we hear that? When we think of the people groups and the people, and when we think of we watch the news and we see the brokenness in the world, and we're like, how can that continue? And then Christ is standing and saying that He is the answer. It's finished. That God has purchased people for God from every tribe and tongue and language and people. He's purchased them for Himself by His blood. And now we are called to go as the church. To proclaim a risen Christ. And what can be taken from us? Nothing. Because even if we were to lay down our lives, we can do so with courage because we know because Christ has risen from the dead, we too shall rise. And though they take my last breath, I will stand immediately in the presence of God for all eternity. And we can go and we can proclaim and we can serve in our communities because we know that God has already purchased people for himself. He has already called them to himself. And now we are called to just go and proclaim and we can go out. We can serve in our neighborhoods. We can talk with our friends and family and just trust that God is faithful. The victory is won. There's a confidence that we should have as Christians that we no longer need to cower in fear. We no longer need to hide. We have a message of hope to proclaim and it does not originate with us because we're somehow any good, but we are recipients of this message. And so therefore we are proclaimers that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you give us reason to celebrate this morning, Lord. This is not just a fairy tale, feel good story, but these are historical, real events that have truly happened. 
that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross in reality, physically to pay the penalty for our sin before a holy God. Lord, that you physically rose from the dead. That you appeared to 500 at one time. Lord, unequivocal evidence of your resurrection. And so, Lord, we surrender. Lord, help us to be strong in your strength, not in our own. Help us to stand firm when doubts and condemnation and temptation push against. Lord, let us work and serve with joy and hope that our victory is already won, not because of our obedience, not because of our response, but because of your finished work. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.